Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Genesis 8 through 10. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Most of you, I'm guessing, have sung those words before as the second verse of the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it talks about how the seasons and what we saw back in Genesis 1, that God put the sun, moon, and stars where they are. Well, one of the reasons is for the seasons. All of this and all of nature testifies to God's faithfulness. And we're going to see some of that. That's going to be our theme for today's Old Testament section, really the faithfulness of God. And even that idea of seasons continuing and expressing the faithfulness of God is something that we will see in this text. So let's talk more about uh, the faithfulness of God. Let's learn about the faithfulness of God that we see here. And then we want to worship and apply um, as we consider the faithfulness of God. The, the passage begins with a phrase that highlights the faithfulness of God in chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, but God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. And for that line to have some measure of effect, I want you to put yourself in Noah's shoes for a little bit. You are floating on this big boat. There is water for as far as you can see, and you don't really know what exactly is next. What's going to happen next? How is this going to work out? And when you look even at chapter 8 and you look at the time, if you pay attention even to when in verse 14, it says that they come out of the ark. It, it sounds like Noah has been on the ark for over a year, over a year that he spends on the ark. And even if you look at some of the dates and the time markers that the text gives you, it seems that over half of that time, the boat isn't moving. Over half of that time, the ark has come to rest and now the waters are receding. So for over half of the time, Noah's sitting in this boat, he's literally going nowhere. Well, that gives some extra meaning to that first phrase, but God remembered Noah. And that idea is not one simply of, you know, cognition like, oh yeah, Noah, what are we going to do about him? That God remembered him. Like you might remember, oh yeah, I have to do that thing today. This is a word that's commonly used throughout the Bible. And it's more speaking of God moving with favor towards someone. Another context often is women that can't have a child. It talks about God remembering them when he opens their womb to conceive and have a child. Here, God remembers Noah. He moves with favor towards Noah. And the immediate following is he makes a wind and the waters begin to subside. So we see God's faithfulness, even just in how the flood story ends and in how he gets Noah safely off the ark and how he remembers Noah. 
but then at the end, God, he smells Noah's offering at the end of chapter eight. And he says, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night shall not cease. So there you have it. Sunrise, sunset, all the seasons, they are a reminder that God is keeping his promise. They are a reminder of the faithfulness of God. And so you need to take note of that, right? This happened thousands and thousands of years ago, but you should look out wherever you are and say, yep, it's another day. Tonight, there'll be another night. Uh, I'm recording this in the winter and I have every confidence that spring will come because it always does because it reflects the faithfulness of God. Another thing that we even think of in nature is the covenant then that is given in chapter nine. And the the covenant is made between God and not just man, but every living thing on the earth. And it's a promise, a unilateral promise that God will never again, cut off all flesh by the waters of the flood. And there's not going to be another flood to destroy the earth. And he gives a sign. And the sign, it says in chapter 9, verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you, me and you, and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds. That word could be used of a, a literal bow, a bow and arrow. God is setting his bow in the clouds. He, he is not going to do to the earth what he did here in the flood. And we see this as the rainbow. And even look at verse 14. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, that's how it works. You don't normally see rainbows on just a bright sunny day. Usually it's in the context of rain. So even when it rains, that's when the rainbow is going to be seen and it's a reminder and it is a reminder for us because God told us about it. So it should remind us of God's promise here. But the text says it's actually primarily a reminder of for God. It says, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The rainbow is a sign of God's covenant that he will remember and he will keep his promise. So that's where we see the faithfulness of God. And hopefully we learn about the faithfulness of God. Well, as we think through those words, learn, worship, and apply, well, there's a very easy connection. Well, what can I worship God for from this passage? Well, worship God for his faithfulness. Have you seen the faithfulness of God? Well, then you should praise God for his faithfulness. And we need to admit uh, sometimes, uh, you know, to our own fault, we are quick to forget and we are slow to give thanks to God for his faithfulness. Even remember the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers. How many come back and say thanks? One. Unfortunately, that's kind of true of not just those lepers, but somewhat in general about humanity. And we are slow to go and give thanks to God. Noah sets a good example when he gets off the ark. He built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Even with the repeated use of the word every, I get the sense that this was a big sacrifice. This was a, a monumental expression of praise 
to God. You should spend some time praising God today for his faithfulness. That's how we should worship God. And then apply. One thing I would encourage you to think about as you try to apply what we're seeing about the faithfulness of God from this passage is you should depend on the faithfulness of God because you will find yourself in times in this world where you are waiting. And that's where, look at Noah. He was waiting. He's sitting on a boat, literally going nowhere. What's going to happen? Well, God was faithful. We don't know how long Noah expected all this to take. You know, did this seem short to him? Did this seem long to him? That doesn't really matter. God remembered him. And if you are one of God's people, God will remember you. There may very much be some waiting in there. But even in the waiting, even though things might be taking longer than you expect, wait on the Lord. Just think of how often that phrase is used. If you want to look at some cross-references today, just even open up probably the Bible app even on your phone and type in wait and Lord. Sometimes in Bible search features, if you type in and in all caps and you say wait and then all caps A-N-D, Lord, it'll give you all the verses that use those words, wait and Lord. And even if you look just at the Psalms, at the verses that include that, You will find some things that minister to you and exhort you to wait on the Lord, and you can be energized in that waiting knowing God will remember and God will be faithful. I can be sure of it. Now, that's the main theme I want us to think about today, but let's just look at some other things from our passage today, some things to note as we go through the Old Testament. Chapter 9 gives us what is often referred to as the Noahic Covenant. And just some things to note there. Note how it re-emphasizes that man is made in the image of God. So even post-fall and now even post-flood, God reiterates that man is made in the image of God. He also reiterates his command to be fruitful and multiply. Twice it is in there. And you get a sense from the passage that be fruitful and multiply because God will give uh, humanity everything that it needs. And he even supplies now animals clearly for them to eat. That flies in the face of our culture. Birth rates all around the world are plummeting. And while there is no biblical command of, hey, this is how many kids you need to aim for, or I don't think it's even a biblical command, hey, uh, married couples, you must at all times be actively trying to conceive a, a child. I don't think that's what the Bible says, but we've seen the pendulum swing in our culture and in our world so far away from God's uh, plan, where most developed countries in the world, their their birth rate doesn't even match the replacement rate. That's That's hardly being fruitful and multiplying. We're deviating from God's wisdom. Now the common wisdom says, don't have too many kids. You won't be able to feed them. Genesis 9 makes it sound like, no, go be fruitful and multiply, and I will provide what you need. We also see really the beginnings of the idea of capital punishment in chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so even in modern discussions about capital punishment, I think if we're going to look to the Bible, the Bible gives us this principle. So I don't think it is one that Christians should throw out entirely. Are there ways we want to make sure that a principle like this is applied with justice and with fairness? Absolutely. 
But if we want to throw out the principle altogether, I think we're flying into the face of the revelation of God's word. Uh, Finally, there's some interesting things. At the end of chapter 9, we get this story of Noah and his sons, and Noah getting drunk, uh, Noah lying naked, one of his sons seeing it, telling his brothers. I I think the biggest thing to take from that, if you just consider it, if you back away from from it for a moment and consider it in the context. This is a book written for the original audience of the Israelites between Egypt on their way to Canaan, and they are being told to destroy the Canaanites. I think the main purpose of this passage is to give them some rationale. Something we would see later in the Bible is that the Canaanites were a wicked people, especially known for their sexual deviance. And here it's tracing, well, their sexual deviance actually goes all the way back to their great, 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 however many great grandfathers in Ham, which seems to also have been lived out by his son Canaan and is now being lived out by the Canaanites. I think there is an application for us that we also are called to be God's people in the midst of a very sexually immoral and deviant world. And I think we should take something from the example of Shem and Japheth and the care that they took to avoid seeing anything inappropriate. Uh, We live in a world where there's lots of things to see that are inappropriate, and we should take care and guard our eyes from those things that we should not look at. Finally, we get to chapter 10, and this gives us what is often referred to as the table of nations. Now, there's not as much commentary in this that, um, you know, may seem to preach as well as something like Enoch and the commentary that was given about him back in chapter five. But let's consider chapter 10 in context. You're going from chapter nine, where God has said, be fruitful and multiply. And here we're now reading about the nations of the earth beginning. And it's summed up at the end uh, that from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. All right, the, the nation spread abroad from the people we read about in chapter 10. So it fits in the context of chapter 9, telling us how that happened. It also sets up what we're going to get to in chapter 12 when we get to Abraham. Remember, in Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So even though we're about to shift and much of the rest of the Old Testament is going to focus on one nation, the nation of Israel, even from the beginning, we're reminded God is the God of all the nations and he has plans for all the nations as well and he will complete those plans because he is faithful. Let's worship God for that and let's depend on that faithfulness today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.